You know, it's good to be together the day after Christmas as we look forward to a new year. I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I did. My whole family is here down front this morning. But, uh, you know, this day is really good because we get to gather together and worship God. That's the real reason why this is a good day. Uh, I want to thank Mark for the opportunity to speak this morning as well as the elders. We are led by very gracious, wise men who are working hard, I think, to love God and to love people. As we think about mercy this morning, I'm reminded of a man named Jim. Jim Williams was driving too fast across the open spaces of Montana late one night. Looking into his rearview mirror, he noticed those flashing lights of a police car. As he pulled over and he rode down the window of his station wagon, yes, this is kind of an old story, he tried to dream up an excuse for his hurry. But when the patrolman reached the car, he said nothing. He just shined the light of the flashlight into Jim's face. And then he shifted that light into the face of his eight-month-old pregnant wife. And then he shifted it to the sleeping 18-month-old in the car seat. And then to the three other children sleeping in the back seat. And then last to the two dogs in the back of the station wagon. And then he returned the beam of light to Jim at the front, and he said the only words he said in the encounter, Son, you can't afford a ticket. Slow down. <laughs> and with that, he returned to his car, drove away. He showed mercy that night. So as disciples of Jesus, after Christmas, as we come into a new year, what is one way that we can bless others? Can you think of something that we can do this year that we can be a blessing to the people around us? You know, I think giving mercy to others is a great way to bless their lives. Mercy from God is not getting what I deserve. Mercy from me is compassion and action toward another person. And a wonderful illustration of this is actually found in the gospel from which I want to share with you today that we've already begun reading, Matthew. You see, when Matthew sat down to write his gospel, I don't really know what he was thinking, but he did what a lot of biographers do in the first century. He began with a genealogy. You got to prove where they came from. And so that's what he did. And so if you would, open up your Bibles or your devices or whatever you're using scripture, reading scripture with today, to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, I want you to notice some things here in the first chapter of Matthew. He begins, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amenadab, Amenadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. 
David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now it's interesting to note in these first few verses of, of this genealogy that basically is a listing of all men, Matthew includes four women. Why would Matthew choose to include Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba? What do they have in common that Matthew chooses these among all that he could have chosen? Now, Tamar is the daughter-in-law of Judah. Judah is the son of Israel. Her story is told in Genesis 38. She is given to Judah's oldest son. The boy dies. So Judah, in the custom of the day, gives her to the second son, who also dies. So Judah, instead of giving her to the third son, he's a little concerned about a rep repetitive pattern, he decides to say, you go live as a widow with your father, and I'll get you when the third son gets big enough, old enough. Well, basically, she has no income. She's living in shame. And so many years later, she takes matters into her own hands. And she goes, she hears Judas going down this one particular road doing something. And she says, and, and, and she goes to that road. She dresses as a prostitute. He propositions her. She becomes pregnant. Two boys are born, mentioned here in Matthew, Perez and Zerah. So here is a woman who plays the part of a prostitute and is included in the genealogy of Matthew. Now Rahab, the second woman, is a prostitute. That's the description of her in Joshua chapter 2. The two spies were sent by Joshua to the city of Jericho. And they end up at her house hiding. They're hiding from the authorities. While there, she confesses to them that she actually believes in God Almighty. And she asks for help. Would you save me and my family? And they say, when we destroy the city, we will save you and your family. They do save her in Joshua chapter 6. She ends up being the mother of Boaz, evidently the wife of Salmon, and also in the genealogy of Matthew, of the Messiah. Ruth is somebody we're familiar with. You know, a book is named after her. But for a Jewish audience, she also is a Gentile, a born a Moabite. But she ends up in Bethlehem. She marries Boaz. And she ends up being the great-grandmother of David, King David. And then the last woman, Bathsheba, we know by name, but she's actually not even named in the genealogy. Matthew refers to the event itself. We've all heard the story of David and Bathsheba. But she had been Uriah's wife first. David and her have an affair. She gets pregnant. David has Uriah murdered in battle. A child is born. But God is not happy. So he sends judgment on David. The child dies. But Bathsheba, whom you might think in that kind of a situation would just kind of disappear into the annals of history and from the pages of Scripture doesn't. Instead, another child is born, Solomon, 
And 2 Samuel 13 says, She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, loved by the Lord. And so he, he enters into the lineage of the Messiah. So you have these four women with these incredible stories. Why does Matthew decide, of, of all the stories he could pick from all these people, pick these four? It's because it's his own story of mercy as well. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9 for just a second. We read it already just a minute ago. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that. In Matthew 9, we see Matthew in a tax collector's booth, and Jesus says, follow me. Now, Matthew is not a tax collector. I mean, is not an, a, a follower of Jesus like the rest of the followers of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Now, the tax collectors were allowed by the Romans to collect anything they could get from the subjects of Rome. So they would sit in their booths with a Roman soldier with a sword and a spear and a shield on one side of the booth and another Roman soldier with a sword and a spear and a shield. And you would come up to that place without a sword and a shield and a spear. And they would say, give me money. And, they, and you, would, you, know, you would give them money because you didn't have anything, you know. And so you would do whatever they said. And so basically, everybody saw them as traitors. They saw them as, as unclean because they were associating with Gentiles every single day. They were thieves. Some saw them as murderers. They saw them as murderers because they would cause people to give so much they would lose their land, lose their property, and have no way of income. And so die. And yet Jesus looks at this man one day and says, follow me. So how do you think Matthew was, was welcomed as he comes out of that tax booth and walks into that crowd of followers of Jesus? Do you think the devout Jewish men from Bethsaida, Peter and Andrew and James and John, just hugged him and welcomed him with open arms I hope you said no in your head, at least. My family said no, so I don't know if y'all heard that. I um, wonder what it was like whenever Jesus sent out the 12, two by two. What was it like for Matthew on that day to be paired? Who, who got the short straw? You know, we don't know what it was like for Matthew, but we do know that after Jesus invited him out of that tax booth to follow him, Matthew was so happy, he said, Jesus, come to my house, let's eat together. And he invites all of his friends to come over and the disciples, and they all sit down to a meal. And so you have uh, the disciples and Matthew and Jesus and the friends all sitting down at probably the most absolute confirmation of acceptance in that society together in one meal. And they, Matthew experienced the, the mercy and grace of Jesus on that day. And he knows it. It changed everything for him. We have a gospel 
today because of that particular day. But some didn't like that fellowship. There are always those virtuous who will call a spade a spade. And so the lawyers were standing nearby saying, Jesus is eating. He's associating with known thieves, prostitutes, evil people. How can he preach about doing righteousness if he associates with such evil people? Jesus overhears this comment, and he offers two points. First, a quote from Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then his own comment. You know, I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Hosea 6, God is commenting on the people of Israel and their unrepentant hearts. How they refuse to help the poor, to have justice, to do really to do so many things right in their lives. You see, they may want to practice religion on a Sunday, but their Monday through Saturday lives does not show that practice or that belief. And sacrifice is easier than mercy. Worship for an hour on a given week is much easier to practice than actually helping other people. It's possible, we've all done it before, to perform sacrifice without our heart, to worship God without using our hearts, to sing through a service, to not listen to a sermon, to walk through a day and have con no connection with God. But when Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew, he is raising to the top of the list mercy. It's more important than being here on a Sunday morning. Now, don't get me wrong, I like you being here on a Sunday morning. But mercy is more important. Mercy from God is not getting what I deserve. Mercy from me to another is compassion in action. Mercy is all about engaging with others rather than closing your heart toward them. Opening up and connecting with them entering into their lives so that you can be Jesus' hands and feet. That's the point of Hosea 6. When I think of mercy from God to us, I realize that, that God cares about me. God cares about each one of you. He has compassion toward us. He has moved toward us. The incarnation shows all of that. And so it makes God approachable to each one of us. When I think of my mercy toward someone else, I realize it has to be enlarging my ability to love that person, to care enough to do something for them. Mercy toward another has to be a feeling I have when I want to help another person. It changes what I'm doing. It was a winter night in 1935. Story is told about Fiorella LaGuardia. He was the, the irrepressible mayor of New York City for many years. At, on that particular night, he showed up at a night court in the poorest ward of the city. He dismissed the judge from the bench and took over. That night, a tattered old woman charged with stealing a loaf of bread was brought before him. She defended herself by saying, My daughter's husband has deserted me. She is sick and her children are starving. The shopkeeper refused to drop the charges, saying, Well, it's a bad neighborhood, Your Honor. She's got to be punished to teach the people a lesson. 
LaGuardia sighed. And he turned to the old woman and said, Well, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. Ten dollars or ten days in jail. Now, of course, ten dollars today from 1935 would be like about uh, 200 bucks. However, even while he was pronouncing the sentence, LaGuardia reached into his pocket, took out a $10 bill, threw it into his hat, and then pronounced these words. Here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in the courtroom 50 cents, which is about $10 now, for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so their grandchild can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fine. The following day, a New York City newspaper uh, reported $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen the loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. That's the same thing as almost $1,000. So they were forced to show mercy. They didn't have any choice. But Jesus is asking us to choose to show mercy. Matthew show, knows that he is, has experienced being called as a sinner with Jesus. Jesus called him on that faithful day and changed his life and gave him a greater purpose. James Lucas says mercy begins with remembering our own sins, our own deeds. Matthew remembers first how he was that sinner on that day that was saved by Jesus. He is the one who received mercy on that day. So Matthew creates a genealogy that reflects that. That brings in these four women intimately connected in the minds of the reader to sin, to prostitution, to uncleanness, to adultery, to lust, to desire. They are sinners who end up in a story about mercy and grace. Just like us. So what can we do to be merciful like God? Well, we need to show compassion. We need to use the golden rule. That's a great thing to think about every day. When we practice the golden rule of treating others as we would like to be treated, mercy comes naturally. It is very natural to be merciful when you do that. Also, when we reach out and help someone who cannot give back, we're being merciful. God is calling us sinners to be a merciful people. Each one of us in this room is a sinner. Part of the love we are to have to others is, is in being compassionate in action. So as you begin this new year, make a commitment to extend the compassion of God has given you to others. If you've not experienced God's compassion, we encourage you today to take advantage of this moment to do that. Let's stand and sing as the elders come.